listening to Law and Gospel on this March the 20th in the year of our Lord 2020. It's an open mic Friday, but normally on an open mic Friday, you're able to phone in. We're not doing that today because the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod is pretty well closed down except for necessary personnel. So we're doing this from home. However, I have emails that I received, and we're going to respond to them. So without further ado, let's take a look at the first issue that I want to talk about. I actually received a letter, uh, I should say an email, from my home congregation, St. Paul de Pere, has hundreds and hundreds of people worshiping every Sunday, but in light of the St. Louis, Louis County mandating that no more than 10 people be present at public gatherings, they have ceased on-site worship services until further notice. Although they've got a number of options for the members, they're going to have a service available on the St. Paul's website, stpaul.org. They'll also be able to look at a worship bulletin by clicking the resource button. And each service will include sermon, prayers, children's message, a link to Sunday school materials, and additional talking points. But they're also doing something else that I hadn't heard, that during Saturday and Sunday, uh, between 5 and 6 on Saturday and 8 a.m. until noon on Sunday, there will be 15-minute opportunities for confession, absolution, and the receiving of communion. The opportunities will be limited to 10 people in each segment, including the pastor, and will be offered simultaneously in the sanctuary and the gym. So that's, and they got a bunch of other little things, but that, the reason I'm mentioning that is one of the emails I received from a listener was the following. Please comment about the government's restriction of a maximum of 300 worshipers at a worship service. Now, that's when it was at 300. It's now down to 10. The government is not forbidding churches to hold worship services if they normally worship more than 300 people or service. It is just limiting the number of people worshiping at one time. Uh, remediation could include adding one or more worship services and requiring people to register online for the service of their choice, up to 300 people. A provision would have to be made in some way for non-techies to register in another way. And the government should proceed with this setup until the government removes the restriction. Now, in the post-dispatch today, there was a letter to the editor, and the person was really angry at the mayor and other county officials for saying that it was wrong to have a meeting with more than 10 people. And the person writing the letter said these people should be removed from office because this goes against the Constitution of the United States. Now, I, I'm not a legal scholar, so I don't know how to respond to that. But I think that St. Paul de Pere 
and I'm working with four other congregations in St. Louis, have come up with ways in, in which the people still are able to worship, at least through the Internet, then you know you do have the two KFUO services, and I'm sure there's going to be something taking place there on Sunday morning. And I sent a audio of my sermon for this Sunday uh, to a congregation that requested it. So there are ways around this, but the email writer does make a point. Uh, my mother, until she died never did have a computer, didn't like them, and wasn't using them. So there are ways, though, in which you can use your telephone and listen in uh, to reports. Any congregation can do that. They can put a 15-minute sermon up on just about anything and just tell their members this is the number to call and what code to put in, and you'll hear the sermon. So there are a number of ways. Whether the government has the right to restrict how many people can be at a, a meeting, I don't know, but I've been hearing of weddings that are canceled or postponed, I should say, and funerals that yesterday there was two people at a funeral of an important person and they're going to, when things get better, they say, have more uh, people attend a regular funeral. So these are all ways in which we encourage people to follow the guidelines in order not to get this virus. And we pray that soon it will be eradicated to the point where we can again gather in uh, restaurants, uh, etc. The hospitals in St. Louis, a number of them, have restricted uh, surgery that isn't necessary. If somebody can wait eight weeks, they're saying they're going to be canceling their uh, surgery, unless it's an emergency, of course, type of surgery. So I, as a pastor, don't really have any biblical information. We do know that in the Bible— People were told not to worship, and they went ahead and worshipped. Sometimes in caves, when I was in Novosibirsk uh, teaching Russians about law and gospel for over a month, they were telling me about how many of the Christians there had closet churches where they would have in a closet a kind of little altar, etc., and worship on a regular basis because the communist government would arrest you if you uh, worshipped uh, publicly. So that there, it seems to me, is different because there you're being told you're not allowed to worship. And I, I don't have any problem with Christians not following the laws of the land there in worshipping. But with an illness like this, you know, it's going to be up to the wisdom of each congregation uh, making decisions as they are doing. All right, another question. These are emails. In Matthew 3.15, there's a note in the Lutheran Study Bible talking about this verse. The fact that all four Gospels report the baptism of Jesus points to its importance. 
Luther captured the primary meaning for his baptism. Christ accepted it from John for the reason that he was entering into our stead, indeed our person, that is, becoming a sinner for us, taking upon himself the sins which he had not committed and wiping them out and drowning them in his holy baptism. And then the question is, on Law and Gospel, you echo that same understanding. Assuming that Jesus, as our substitute, did indeed wipe out our sins and drown them in his holy baptism, why did Jesus still take our sins upon himself on the cross and die with them on the cross if he had already done so on his baptism? It brings to mind a similar type of thing with the difference between Jesus covering our sins with his righteousness and taking away our sins on the cross, I look forward to your clarifying this. Now, that's really a very good question. If you're under the impression that Jesus not only became a sinner at our baptism, but that he also... You ready for this? As the email writer says, drowned our sins in his holy baptism. Now, there's no doubt that drowning in our sins does take place at the baptism at Pentecost. That is a sacramental baptism. John the Baptist's baptism was not sacramental. It was rather one that was more ceremonial, but it was used by God the Father that Jesus would become a sinner in God's eyes. Now, he did not stop being a sinner in God's eyes after the baptism, but also through the resurrection, because if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about the proper purpose of the church. And the church's message from God is that through Christ, God was reconciled us to himself. And we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. And he explains it in verse 19. That is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So, verse 21, or 20 and 21 says that the church, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. Now, what's the appeal? That we do something so God is reconciled to us? No, God's already reconciled to us because Jesus was still considered to be a sinner when he died on the cross, and he died for our sins. Verse 20 says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now listen to verse 21. For our sake, God the Father made Jesus to be sin." 
who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I think that takes also into account the question about Jesus covering our sins with his righteousness and taking away our sins on the cross. You see, there were two things about Jesus that is taught in youth and adult confirmation, and that's talking about his two obediences. The one is his passive obedience. He passively went the way of the cross, and as the greatest sinner in the world, took away the punishment for our sins on the cross. There was no punishment at the baptism of John the baptizer. So he gets our sins paid for. Now, where does the righteousness come in? When, when you're baptized, not only do you get your sins that were due to your sins of mission, commission, taken care of, that is things you did, thought, or said wrong, that's the forgiveness of sins, but you also get the gift in your baptism with the gift of the Holy Spirit of being righteous in his sight. In other words, we call that the robe of righteousness, and that takes care of what? That takes care of our sins of omission. You know, how many times do we do a sin of commission where we do something wrong? But then we also do sins of omission. And that omission can be really important. Another email we received was with an article about what the, I'll call it the denomination, ELCA, has recently done. They actually apologized. So what did they apologize for? Did they apologize for saying that it's not necessary that a Muslim or an unbelieving Jew or any other religion needs to come to learn about Jesus because we don't know how God saves people and we can't make the decision that they're not saved, even though Jesus says, no one comes to me except through the Father. So what did they apologize about? What they apologize is something that you'll hardly believe. What happened is they put out a poster, and it's kind of a, one of those lights you use at a camping. You put it in your tent, and on it is written, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That's, by the way, First John chapter 1 verse 5. Well, they received a critical letter, Elka did, from a member of Elka. Please consider the racial implications of what you are saying here. 
there is no darkness in him, really? I assume exclusion from God is not your intent, but that is the impact. Please apologize and remove this post. Wow. What are they talking about? They're referring to black people as darkness. If that isn't racism, I don't know what is. That'd be like repairing uh, or referring to white people as the light of the world. We're not the light of the world if we're white. We're not darkness if we're black. We are human beings, both forgiven by God for our sins and by Jesus, who is the light of the world. In fact, uh, Alka Pastor also replied, now, now get this, just because it's a Bible verse does not mean it can't be used to inflict harm on our siblings of color and perpetuate systemic racism in a church that is 98% white. He goes on and says, the Bible has been used to silence women, oppress queer people, and justify slavery. Well, if the Bible, let's go through those. If the Bible is used to justify slavery, it's all mixed up with Cain and Abel. Who, of course, all their descendants died in the flood, so I don't know how that still justifies slavery or whatever other Bible verses were used. But it's very clear that I don't know of one Bible verse in the Bible that justifies slavery the way it was done in the United States of America. Oppress queer persons? Well, that's like saying that the church oppresses rapists. Well, of course, a rapist isn't going to feel very good when they hear the church telling them that what they are doing is sinful and they need to repent of it and maybe even be arrested. But that's not oppressing them. That's telling the Word of God. And what do they mean by silencing women? Well, they think because... The Bible says women should not be pastors, that that silences them. That's like saying that the Bible is used to tell men they can't have babies. Well, of course, because that's the way creation is set up. That's God's word. So talking about God is the light of the world and that in him there is no darkness at all. And now they're apologizing for that because, boy, they think that black people are darkness. In fact, uh, the Alka sent a letter we have been paying very close attention to the conversation created by this post. Thank you all who have voiced your experience and concerns regarding the language used. The verse shared here comes from last week's lectionary readings. 
as themes of darkness and light will appear again in lectionary readings later in Lent. We have chosen to leave this post and its discussion here so that it can inspire deeper conversation and reflection. We apologize that the language in this post has caused harm. Can you believe this? Now they're blaming the Bible for causing harm. I mean, this is what happened at one of their conventions when a layman stood up and said, how can we stop our mission activity to Muslims and Jews and others when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father but by me, etc., etc.? And they voted him down over 97% of the convention delegates voted against him. And he was called all kinds of names because up on the stage were representatives from heretical religions and the head of Elka, and it's not surprising, she's a woman, was indicating that that was a terrible thing to say with these people on the stage. So you could have had people in prison that they had up on the stage. Maybe they got out of prison just to come to the convention, and they were in there for a murder or for theft, and somebody says they were against the commandments of God. You see, what Elka has believed Pentecost is about is that the Holy Spirit replaced God's commandments. Under Moses, yeah, there were commandments. You had to obey them. But in our day, as this one Elka pastor says, just because it's a Bible verse does not mean it can be used to inflict harm on our siblings. For example, today in the Post-Dispatch, uh, this paper is terrible. They're now accusing President Trump of racism because he mentions that the virus came from China, and they consider that to be racist. Well, it's obvious it came from China. It's a Chinese virus, but that doesn't mean that the Chinese people need to be looked down upon. And for some reason, the Post-Dispatch gives the impression, like Elka does, that if you accuse somebody of being wrong, guess what? That means that you're a racist. Well, this is getting ridiculous. Anyone's a racist then, according to Elka, if they say that in Christ there is no darkness. Because for a person to be against that means they have to be a racist and look at black people as darkness. Black people are not darkness. They, they may be black, but the word black has all kinds of meanings. I was just taking a look how many cars on the road are black. Why, why did they choose that? Are only black people driving black cars? Of course not. Black's a beautiful color. And I always, when I was younger, I, I liked wearing all black. I had a black shirt, black pants, black shoes, black tie black hat, etc. 
So we appreciate these emails. I don't know how long we'll be continuing with the emails, but don't hesitate to call me at Law and Gospel at Law and Gospel 101.com. That's email me and put down questions. We may be doing this again next Friday on Open Mic. Monday we'll be doing a Bible study. Weekday morning at 930 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law and Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.